Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is AppSats Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here. Betrayal trauma. We are AppSats certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. Sometimes listeners want to know about triggers. I'm dealing with the aftermath of my husband's affairs, and he still works the same job that he did when he was acting out. It's a job that allows him to hide his goings-on and one that he stated was the previous trigger for his acting out. The whole 16 and a half years we've been together, he's acted out. In the beginning, what I thought it was was just pornography. Um, It ended up being, I found out two and a half years ago, he had been with multiple prostitutes. I only found out a very small portion of that until about a month ago. How do you cope with all of that when you still have to deal with unavoidable triggers? Well, of course you would feel traumatized by hearing all that information. And I got to tell you, Stephanie, that's a staggered disclosure. That's finding out little bits and pieces about your husband's behavior throughout a time period, making you feel insecure, unsure, and unsafe. So what we got to do is set up a situation whereby you get with a specialist to do a formal disclosure so you can hear everything at one time in a safe environment. Yep, that's right. What we do at AppSAS is create a safe environment. Hi, I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach. And I am so happy to be here with you this afternoon. You know, we're getting into Memorial Day, and as I think about what this weekend was like for me last year, we were just finalizing some of the promotions for the show and the artwork, and, you know, we had um, a two, two-and-a-half-week window, and then we, we went on live. And so I'm feeling ever so grateful, feeling ever so grateful that we've had a year together talking about partner betrayal. I've gotten a lot of people that have emailed me and said, you know, this show really makes a difference. And here's what I love about those emails. When I do my other show, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, many of you know that that was initially for the addict. And then my demographics said that it was primarily women who were listening to the show, not primarily, 56% women that were listening to the show. And I knew that they wanted to know about sex addiction. They wanted to stay safe. And this was a way to get more information about what their husbands or wives, depending on who the addict was, what they needed to do to stay healthy. But one of the things that I noticed early on in my work with addicts, partners, and couples is that oftentimes the partner would put herself on the back burner in hopes of uh, of helping him get straightened out. Now, you know, was there an ulterior motive for this? Was she putting 
him on the front burner and herself on the back burner because she wanted to make sure she was safe. And yeah, I absolutely think that that benefited her too. But I guess what I am saying is that this show should be helping you to find that safety and stabilization. And it definitely needs to be helping you grieve the loss of what you had and what you had hoped to have. And then that third phase is all about restoring yourself, identifying what is it that you need to feel good about you. And sometimes that's as simple as, you know what, Carol? I was drinking before this. And and my drinking increased after discovery, and I need to work on modifying my drinking. Or maybe it looks like, you know what, I'm I'm fairly critical of my husband, pretty judgmental. You know, he's hurt me, and even though he's doing better, it is hard for me to acknowledge his changes. Or maybe it's, you know what, I don't even have time to take a bath or a shower. I don't get as many in as I frequently need, and brushing my teeth is a real chore. I need to start putting me first and prioritizing my hygiene, prioritizing my rest. You know, it's about taking care of yourself, whether that's going for a new yoga class or whether it's getting an extra hour of sleep, whether it's breaking down and insisting that you have two hours of daycare during the day so that you have some breathing room, or that you need to set boundaries with your own children so that you are not grandparenting as much as they would like you to. You know, it could be anything. I mean, I had a woman in here just the other day, and she was in tears because she couldn't grandparent as much as she had before. You know, she, her family did not see her as being as safe and stable as she had been before the discovery, and so they kind of took that away from her. This sex addiction can rock anybody's world. And... It's our job as APSATS clinicians and coaches to help get you through those phases so that you have restoration of yourself. You also then can decide, you know, do you want to work on the coupleship? You're doing good work yourself. Is it time to do that early couples recovery work and maybe even move it into some counseling? And is there any other relationships you need to restore? You know, sometimes that's with God or your higher power. You just can't believe this happened to you, and you need to know um, that it's safe to trust God again. Sometimes it's your church. They betrayed you. Sometimes it's your neighborhood, your friends. His friends. So... That's going to be my question for the week. What might you need to restore? What might need to happen in your life that would tweak it so that you're getting more of your needs met? 
with your community, with your family, with your kids, with your husband, with your wife, whatever. Okay, that's my question. Um, the second thing I want to put out there is, as you well know, you've been listening to this show for a year, we are appsats.org, and we are a partner-sensitive training institution. We help teach clinicians and coaches how to do this, how to be partner-sensitive, and how to understand the addicts better, and, and then, of course, how to keep the partner safe, how to help her grieve, how to help him grieve. And um, we have a training class coming up. Uh, the first one filled up, so we are good to go. We opened up a second class. Now, I'm going to pull my appointment book, and I'm going to give you the dates. If you are a clinician or a coach, and you are listening to this show to get more information to help your clients, and I know you're out there, um, wanted to let you know that we'll have another virtual class that runs two Fridays and two Saturdays virtually. It's through Zoom, so you don't have to show up at the hotel and you don't have to um, pay for airfare and uh, lodging. You do have to get on appsats.org and sign up for June 21st, 22nd, 28th, and 29th. And Dr. Barbara Steffens, who was the president of APSATS up until about four months ago, and myself, yours truly, teach the course. And we really do go, do go into those three phases. We use what they call multidimensional uh, trauma model. And we teach about that, and we teach about gaslighting and disclosures and discovery and what happens to the trauma brain and, you know, how do you help couples get through this and how do you support her and how did this all occur and what's the history on it and it is, I must say, I've been teaching it now for about three, maybe four years, and it is fascinating stuff. So go to appsats.org. That's A-P-S-A-T-S dot org if you're a clinician or a coach and you want more information. It's one of the most affordable trainings out there, and it sure is partner-sensitive, and that's what we appreciate. Now, today, we are going to be talking to a partner who's been married for about 20 years, and she's going to talk a little bit about what her life has been like, both since the discovery and also since he has gotten good recovery and she has worked through her issues. And, you know, the, a lot of times these shows are educational, but they are also, and I promise you this, they are inspirational and educational. They absolutely 100% um, help you to understand what's been going on in your life. And so she actually took her life to the next level, just like our show last week. And she's helping partners. And that is really what the 12-step movement is all about. It's giving back. 
and it's helping partners to know what they need to know. Um, and so I am just really excited, if you will, for this woman to come on and talk about her story and tell us how she's making a difference in the world because there are so many ways to do that. You can, if you will, you can do it by um, helping partners in your church. There's a specific program that's run by um, a coach who's been trained by AppSets, Donna Meredith Dixon, and she teaches people how do you do this? You know, how do you make a difference? What are the boundaries? How do we educate partners? Um, you know, there are people that do it, and, and women are the battle. In all sorts of ways. So I am always thrilled when we can have people who talk about what this is like. And this woman is a certified partner coach candidate for for BTR, Betrayal Trauma Recovery. So she supports online groups and does one-on-one coaching for women walking the difficult journey of betrayal. Her past included teaching and education, and she spent 20 years in that profession. She says, and I quote, I spent many dark years in a fog of confusion knowing nothing about betrayal trauma, sexual integrity issues, gaslighting, or what a boundary was, let alone how to set them. Now, what she did was she found BTR. That's, uh, if you remember last week, we had the founder of BTR on, and she hired one of the AppSats trained coaches to help her through this crisis. And then she said, you know what? I want to do this too. And so she went through um, her coaching certification and how she tried to get a disclosure with a therapist before she'd ever heard a therapeutic disclosure. That's what we talk about at AppSats. She had quite the experience with that. She's going to talk to us about it. And she also is going to talk about how she found closure from the experience. And we are just so excited to have her on the show because truly she epitomizes not only a partner that gets healthy, but somebody who has found a way to give back and is making a difference in the world. And I'm not kidding you. I've been doing this work for 37 years, not necessarily partner betrayal, but doing mental health. And I have never worked in such a niche where people want to help people once they get healthy. And that is, you know, that's what life's all about is giving back. So, I wanted to encourage my client to come on, my client, my coach, my fellow coach, because you know I'm a coach too, to come on the show and share her story. Jean, welcome to the show. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And you have quite the story. Um, (laughs) 
And it really, it really helps that you have that educational background because some people would be afraid to share their story. And, and yet you've been able to do this in a number of ways with a number of people. So I am so thankful that you are on today. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your journey. Can you share with us what happened in your life? Sure, I would I would love to. And you know, first I'd say that it it took me a long time to gain the courage to tell my story. Um so that's part of my journey, but I'm happy to say that um my husband and I are still together. We've been married over 28 years and he is in recovery with support and accountability, which as you know, Carol is is really key um to sobriety and recovery. But getting to that place um, has been a long and difficult journey for us. Um, Our D-Day, which anybody new to APSAT, um, D-Day is the day that you either discover something or it's disclosed about your partner's acting out behavior. And that for us was over 12 years ago. So that was before Dr. Barbara Steffens had written her book, Your Sexually Addicted Spouse. So I knew nothing about betrayal trauma, um, sex addiction, never heard the word gaslighting, boundaries, none of that. Um, But I can tell you that I did experience all those symptoms of betrayal trauma. And for us, it was was so painful as it is for any couple going through this. Um, But we did what so many couples do is we thought, okay, this will never happen again because it hurts so bad. And so my husband got a little bit of counseling. I got none. We had zero support, and we just put it behind us. And we thought, okay, we're good to go now. But as you know, um, not having a recovery plan often leads to a relapse. And so a couple years ago, we find ourselves back in a relapse. And that's where we um, sought out some counseling. Um, And and I, I like to say that Nobody goes into counseling to harm people, right? Everybody wants to help. And so um, the some of the stories that I will tell, it, it was from counselors that were well-meaning, but they were just uneducated and they knew nothing about child trauma or PTSD or sex addiction, um, any of that. So um, if I could just share a little bit of that, would that be okay? Oh, I would love that. Absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, when we first um, sought out counseling after the second D-Day, we just went to a family counselor, a couples counselor, which was our first mistake. Um, And I love the quote by Leslie Vernick, who wrote um, The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. And she says, abuse, addiction, and chronic adultery issues are not marriage problems. They are personal sin problems. Marriage counseling doesn't work because the marriage is not the problem. Yes, abuse, addiction, and chronic adultery cause marriage problems, but marriage problems do not cause abuse, addiction, and adultery. Do you hear the difference? Um, And as you know, that couples counseling can come very valuable a little bit later in the journey, but starting out there can be a problem, and that's what happened with us. We spent years going in and out of different therapist's office and actually spent, you know, over well over $10,000 trying to get help. And I'm sure, Carol, you've heard of a lot more money spent than that, and so have I. I've heard upwards of forty and $50,000 spent um, trying to mm-hmm. get help. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, it's gone as high as about 200000 So Wow. That's not, you know, that is the extreme case, and that's somebody who really found good recovery after he was in treatment for like nine months. So wow. continue. Tell, tell us <laughs> your story. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, the first counselor we saw, um, the, the one, one-on-one counseling for me was helpful, but the couples not so much because he just, again, was treating it as a couple's issue. And um, I was just learning to use my voice and speak my truth. And I remember sitting in the office one day with my husband and this therapist, and um, I mentioned how I felt like having an unprotected phone in your pocket was like porn in your pocket. And um, I was laughed at by both my husband and the therapist, but that was just ridiculous. And I just remember sitting there feeling so unheard and unseen. Um, and that I just felt like my pain was being jumped right over. Um, we spent some time with that therapist and we moved on to another one. Um, at one point I did come across um, some symptoms of PTSD and I read those and I'm like, oh my goodness. That's, that sounds like what I'm experiencing. So I found a therapist that um, worked with PTSD and specialized in it, and I called her up. And I said, this might sound kind of crazy, but I feel like I'm having these symptoms. And she um, immediately minimized what I was going through. She said, oh, no, no, that's, that's not PTSD. That's for people that have real trauma. And she refused to work with me. And I remember just getting off the phone, feeling such shame that that I would even think that that could be a problem and that, okay, I'm making too big of a deal of this. I need to just get over it. Um, So didn't even do therapy for a while. Um, Then went in and started up with another therapist. Um, Now, could I just say something, Jean? Sure. I'm curious because obviously this specialist – specialist in trauma, took your situation and allowed that to color the symptoms that really were reflective of post-traumatic stress. Would you share Mm -hmm. with our listening audience what some of those symptoms were and why you knew that they fit the post-traumatic stress model? Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of that was just the hypervigilance. Um, I had health issues, um, nightmares. Um, triggers that were just hard to um, control, Um, just feeling like also that my intuition kept telling me something was wrong. Um, And because I was told nothing was wrong, I kept just pushing that down. And so just just being re-traumatized, and it really was something that just kept um, being in my thoughts in my mind and I couldn't get away from it. And so it just, it was always there, like the elephant in the room type thing. And just like at sometimes um, when I would feel triggered, I would feel the flashbacks. I might start shaking. I might be sick to my stomach, um, unable to eat, things like that. Well, and one of the things we know, we get some resistance from the outside community because, of course, post-traumatic stress is something that is very common for war veterans and and people that have experienced horrendous life-death experiences or they've witnessed seeing children blown up or their best friends being blown up. And so they can't get out of that mindset. But every symptom Mm -hmm. that you just described 
that describes most partners when they've experienced discovery and thereafter, they're the same symptoms. And so Mm -hmm. Barbara Steffens and our model says, when your partner betrays you, the, the number one person that you're supposed to be able to count on and depend on to make you feel safe and to protect you, it does feel like a life death situation. Yeah. Would you agree? Absolutely. And kind of what I say is that um, the marriage that you knew or the relationship that you knew was is murdered um, because what you thought you had, you have no more. And it's murdered by the person that's closest to you. So it does feel like a death in a way. Absolutely. So this person, this therapist, well-meaning but not knowing, um, made you feel like you didn't, um, you weren't understood and that your voice didn't count. And you actually then took a couple months off from getting some help. And And then what happened? Well, then we started with a new therapist. And again, I didn't know that I need, I didn't even know what a CSAT was. I didn't know. I this this person came recommended by my church. So I went in to see him alone. My husband went in to see him alone. Then we go in to see him together. And at this point, I'd had some pretty negative experiences. So I'm very nervous, right? Because I feel like no one has really seen what's really going on. And no one's really um, heard me. And so we go in and we sit down on his couch, and I will never forget, it was a red couch. And um, I, am, I am hopeful and terrified at the same time because I'm hopeful that maybe finally somebody will get this and terrified that I would somehow be blamed again. And I had never been called codependent at this point, but there was that subtle accusation. And so this counselor who had seen my husband once, me once, not even seen us together, he sits there and he says, well, Jean, I think I've figured out the problem. And my heart starts pounding. And he says, yes, here's what we need to do. We need to make you a safe person. Because if we can make you safe, he won't lie. And as you know, Carol, one of the things that gets so damaged with us as partners is our intuition. And my intuition had been telling me for years that something was wrong, and I had just pushed it down. And when he told me that, inside I screamed, no way. And I even voiced that to him. I said, "This, no, that's just not true. But he kept saying, yes, it is. We can make you safe, and we'll fix this issue. And so once again, I pushed that intuition down, and I thought, okay, he's the expert. I need to try and trust this. So for the next year, I went in, I gave him my money, I sat on his red couch, and I tried to become a safe person. And did it work? No, it didn't. Um, Of course not. He didn't see it. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't see the truth at all. Um, And at this point in my journey, I felt like I was drowning in this fog of confusion, yet I was screaming out for help at the top of my lungs, but I was muted. And the people that were trying to help me could barely see me through the fog, and they had no idea that I was drowning. Um, And it left me feeling just crazy and like, what's wrong with me? And I just need to get over this. Um, Just really a deep, dark place for me. 
well, I can't imagine being seen as, in some ways, the problem and the solution. I mean, you were identified <laughs> yeah. as being exactly. codependent, and, and you, you had to help him heal by being the safe person. Now, yeah. interestingly enough, that's the premise of my book, Help Her Heal. That, uh-huh. And that's the premise of Absats, that when you cause um, a horrible ordeal and your wife does not feel safe and partner betrayal is the worst of all betrayals, when that occurs, the only way that things can improve is if he gets in good recovery, and that recovery mm-hmm. is his solely to get into, and then yeah. he works on relational recovery, which obviously right. means he has to be honest. And, and we say he's got to have that sobriety, and then it, it's very helpful if, if the partner wants to have a disclosure to get that yes. disclosure. And yes. then he has to keep acknowledging her pain and letting her know that he knows that he caused this. And that that can actually be very healing if it's genuine and if he yep. works on his empathy skills. So yeah. at what point did this all shift for you? You know, I mean. Yes. Well, we did eventually get to that disclosure with a polygraph. It was years later. and um, But with the same therapist, with the guy with the red couch, <laughs> um, you know, anytime – we partners, anytime a woman's betrayed or a man, either one, one of the first things that you have is a million questions, right? And it's like, when did it start? How long has it happened? What else did I don't know? And those questions can become just almost like a torture for us. And at this point in our journey, I had had questions for years, literally years. And so my therapist found out um, about that I had these questions. He's like, okay, great. Bring your questions in here and we'll talk about them. And um, at, at this point, there we had no professional help. No one was helping my husband write out a disclosure. No one was helping me with the self-care plan, like all that we learn in AppSets. You know, no one was helping me with my questions, nothing. Um, and in AppSets, we learn what a therapeutic disclosure looks like. And we know that to get the best one, it takes a few months to make sure that the addict has some sobriety under his belt. Also, um, it takes a while for him to prepare his disclosure, to get everybody ready. That's really the best disclosure. Um, but for us, nobody knew that. I didn't know that. And so he's like, yeah, come on in, bring your questions. Well, we couldn't get in for a while. And remember, I had had these questions for years. And so I had my questions, and I thought, okay, I just have a couple of questions I need to ask now instead of waiting weeks to get in. And we also know that in abstract training that sometimes when a partner is so tortured by these questions, the therapist will try to get, okay, what's like one or two that you that are just torturing you? We'll try to get those answered, and then can you hold off for the formal disclosure? And so unbeknownst to me, that's kind of what I was doing. And so I asked those questions at home. I got my answers. We go in a couple weeks later, and at this point, I walk into this man's office, and there's that red couch again, and I was sick to my stomach. Um, I was nauseated. Um, I was literally shaking. If you saw my hands, they would be shivering um, because I I was terrified of, first of all, what was I going to find out? Was I going to get the truth? 
Um, and so I walk in, and he sees the look on my face, and he interprets it as that I'm angry instead of terrified. Then when I sit down and he finds out that I had asked a couple questions ahead of time, he comes after me. He's like, why did you do that? And I said, could, could we please not do that right now? I, could we talk about that later? No, we're going to discuss this now. I am your therapist. I wanted those questions asked in my office. Why did you do this? And I said, could you please, could we please not do, I can feel my emotions just rising. And he wouldn't back off. And finally I said, if you don't hold off, I'm going to have to leave. And he wouldn't. He asked me again. And finally I, I fled from his office. I went out and I got in my car and I called my friend. <laughs> um, and I said, I, I have to go back in there. I have to because I've waited years to ask these questions. I have to go back in. And so I calmed down. I went back in. I went into the waiting room. There was nobody there, thank goodness. And you know how the doors locked to the inner offices for, for protection. Yeah. I tried to open the door, and it's locked. And I'm still on the phone with my friend, and I'm just panicked. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to be able to get my questions asked. And I said, the door's locked. And she said, we laugh about this now. <laughs> because no. She said very calmly, she said, Jean, knock. <laughs> because it, it didn't even cross my mind. I was so traumatized. I just, so I knocked. Right. He, he lets me back in. And at this point, he, he realized he had pushed me way too far. He apologized. That's when he said to me, I thought you were angry. And I wanted to say, well, what if I was angry? I'm, am I not allowed to be angry? Um, but, you know, I didn't say that. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask my questions finally after all these years. So I pull the questions out of my purse when my husband reaches for them. And I would not let him have them because there was no way I was giving up my questions. I needed to voice these questions. I needed to hold on to them. And my therapist, he laughs, and he goes, oh, no, no, no touchy, touchy. And I just, I remember sitting on that red couch looking at him thinking, you are so clueless as to the trauma, although I didn't have the word trauma at that time, but you're so clueless as to what I'm feeling right now. Um, So that truly was, you know, we've heard of therapy-induced trauma, I believe that was therapy-induced trauma for me. When I left, I was I I literally went to the movies, <laughs> which sounds crazy. After I left this office, I just had to like numb out. I went to the movies and oh. just sat and watched some crazy movie just to get a break from my mind going into such trauma mode. Well, and I gotta say, I am sure that it was that trauma. That therapy-induced trauma that also on some level planted that seed that said, I am going to help other women that have gone through this same thing. Yeah, it truly was. And have you ever um, gone back to him, not gone back to him, but sent him an email, sent him a letter and explained, you know, the infraction that occurred? I I did. I went in a week later, and I mm. I very very respectfully 
but I shared my truth. And again, I didn't know anything about paternal trauma. I didn't know anything at that point, but I went in and I said, I want to give you a scenario of what this felt like to me. I said, say you go to the doctor and he knows if you're dying of some horrible disease, but he says, come back in three weeks and I'll tell you. And I said, that's what I felt like, that I just needed to ask those one or two questions at home. I didn't need to know the treatment plan. I didn't need to know all the details. I just needed to know, am I dying of cancer or not? I said, that's what it felt like. And I said, that's why I asked those questions. And, you know, I told him, I was very clear. I said, you might be my therapist, but I will make decisions based on what I feel is right. And so we came to a kind of an agreement. And actually, we kept working with this guy. And eventually realized it wasn't being helpful and moved on. But I did get to speak my truth to him. Um, And then later he moved out of that office and another woman came in to the very same office and I began seeing her and I loved her from the beginning. Now she was not abstract trained, but she was the first person who began to see what was going on, not completely, but she validated what I was experiencing. And we developed a really good relationship And um, later, when I did get trained, um, I uh, did a support group with some women from my church. And when she found out about it, she offered me her office and place to do the support group. And she gave me a key to that office. And I'll just never forget the day I went. I went early before the other women came. I had a key. I opened that door. I went in. The red couch was gone. Thank goodness. If it was, if it was there, I might have torched it. But I Absolutely. walked in and I sat there and I just remembered what I'd been through. And I call it the red couch redemption <laughs> because I sat there and remembered what I'd been through. And then a few minutes later, these precious women came in and I led a support group on betrayal trauma right in that same room. And it was just a gift from God to me, another redeeming moment for me in my journey. Oh, I believe that. Now, I want to find out what you're doing now and how that developed Yeah, with so BTR. A few years, yeah. So a few years later, um, I was on the Covenant Eyes website, and I found an article on gaslighting by one of the BTR coaches. And this was like a holy moment almost for me. It was like the angels were singing in the background because I sat there literally dumbfounded when I read about what gaslighting was because I realized, oh, my goodness, there's a name for this. They've had a video camera in my home that I was just blown away. And from that, I found the BTR website. I went on a podcast binge. Um, I read books. um, I just learned all I could. Then I hired an AppSats-trained BTR coach. And this truly was the very first person who saw that I was drowning in that fog. And she threw me that life preserver um, because the BTR coaches, not only are they upsets trained, but they're all, they've all experienced betrayal themselves. So in the first five minutes, after years and years of trying to get somebody to understand, she got me. And that was just huge. She provided the support, the education. She named it betrayal trauma. Um, just so validating. And from that, I was able to set some really firm boundaries with my husband that he'd get into an intensive recovery program, which he did. Um, And after years and years of struggling, 
from the time I found that guest setting article to the time my husband and I went to the intensive, it was just two months. And that's what an AppSat training coach did for me because I got the education, I understood, and once I learned it, I was like, oh, no, no, I'm not doing this anymore. We need some boundaries here. And, and Carol, you know that there's a difference between sobriety and recovery. And at that point, my husband had been in sobriety for years, but we weren't in recovery. And it's not like everything turned on a dime and it was just great. We, we are still on this journey of recovery. It's still hard at times, but that was the first time we finally got pointed in the right direction to true recovery, and my husband did have the disclosure with the polygraph, um, which overall was a good experience, but again, it was far from an APSAT, um, the way APSAT teaches us that uh, disclosure should be done. And now you educate women because you're part of BTR, you're a coach, you got APSATs mm-hmm. trained, and mm-hmm. you help women who are reeling from the discovery, or maybe they're just, it's been two years in, and they keep saying, I did not want this to be my life. So you give them the tools and the skills through BTR. You do that in individual yeah. coaching. And you do that through group coaching, right? Yes, that's right. And, Carol, actually, you play a part in my journey that you wouldn't even remember. Um, The first place that I got training, and I heard you talking about this before I came on, was Donna Dixon with The Door of Hope. And how I found her was through you. I contacted, I sent an email to the AppSats website. You responded, and you sent me to Donna. And I I just want to... I, I love that woman. <laughs> she, I'm one of her biggest cheerleaders because her program is just so amazing. It's very detailed and just she was the first person that tr- truly tra- taught me what the trauma model was. And that learning about the trauma model was, again, another huge aha moment for me because intuitively in many ways I had known. I experienced the trauma model. Even at the point when I had called that therapist and said, hey, I feel like I have PTSD. I I was intuitively knowing that I was experiencing these things. So when I saw um, the trauma model, I was like, oh my goodness. And so from that Adore of Hope training, I went on to coach training. Then I went on to AppSats training. Um, and then later on uh, became a coach for BTR. And, you know, I do remember you, Jean, and I get probably, oh, yes, yes, yes. I get probably 20 to 30 requests a year because I'm identified on the website as being the go-to person to Mm -hmm. help help people who may not want to be a coach or they may not want to go back to school and get their clinical degree to help partners. And I had just mentioned before you came on about Donna Meredith Dixon and her Helping partners. I think it's the program's called Partners Give Back. And it is through the churches. So I am one of her biggest fans, too. She's an amazing woman. Mm. She's an APSATS coach. And she has family that are also APSATS coaches. So it's pretty doggone exciting to have this kind of community. Um, so, So tell us a little bit about boundaries. You know, if you're, I know that you're not giving advice to people in, in a BTR group, but, but 
I know that you help facilitate their dialogue about what are boundaries that keep them safe. Mm -hmm. So share a couple Mm -hmm. of boundaries that you think are very helpful for for a lot of partners, not everybody. Right. Uh, Well, one boundary that comes to mind is just um, um, protection over devices like phones and computers. And there's different ones. The ones that comes to my mind is covenant eyes. Um, That's, and you know, someone who's struggling with, with sexual integrity issues, they can get around those. Um, but just the, the willingness that they are willing to be accountable um, shows something. And that, that's sometimes where um, a partner will start is something like that. Like I need accountability or um, check-ins or maybe um, like when they're traveling, um, they, they need them to have a GPS on their phone. Although, you know, I think you have to be careful with some of those because if you're in early trauma, you can go into the hypervigilance where you're constantly checking where they are in GPS. So, you know, you've got to be careful with some of those. But um, And then some of the boundaries just around the gaslighting where you're not going to um, participate in that abuse anymore and recognizing those. Um, some people go all the way to in-house separation, to out-of-house separation, to like what I did. So I basically said, we either, you know, get help at an intensive or things are going to change drastically for us. And so clearly you decided what you needed for safety and mm-hmm. stabilization, and then you shared that with him, and you said, this is what I need and because we need to move forward. And if we don't move forward, there are going to be some consequences, right? Yes, yes. And, you know, yeah, and consequences have, have consequences. Yes, yeah. And, and it's not always a separation. Sometimes it's a separation in different bedrooms, or sometimes it right. means that, you know, there are no more date nights because the partner doesn't feel safe, or sometimes it means right. that the healthy she detachment. figures out. Yeah. yeah, a healthy detachment. And for, for our listening audience that may not know, detachment with love means that you care about the person, but you separate yourself from them either emotionally, physically, to keep yourself safe and also not to, um, it's really kind of to get out of his stuff or her stuff, depending on what Mm -hmm. the stuff is. Okay, so now tell us how BTR works. Because there's several different options. I know there's podcasts, there's blogs. Mm-hmm. Let's run down. Yeah, so so it's an online um, support group. You, you can either do one-on-one coaching with coaches through Zoom so we can see each other. Also, there's the VTRG, which is the Betrayal Trauma Groups. And these are really popular. We have about 16 groups a week. Um, some days there's up to three groups that a woman can join. And once you join, you can go to any or all groups um, that day or that week. And it's really a time where women just come in, they're heard, they're validated, they're understood. They might get some spot coaching. Um, and then sometimes women will do a combination of both. They might join BTRG, and then they'll get some one-on-one coach um, coaching just on very specific things like we're talking about boundaries or separation or gaslighting. Um, and what, what I see with women coming in, sometimes they come in in their early stages of trauma, like D-Day is a month old, or, um, and they're, they're just so traumatized and so scared, and rightly so. I mean, 
any of us partners get that because we've all been there. And it's really amazing to see the transformation that they make in a few weeks. Um, a few weeks later, they're still traumatized. They still don't know if their marriages are going to make it. They don't have all the answers. But what they are doing is finding their voice. They're being heard. They're being educated. They're being validated. They, they see other women that are ahead of them on the journey, and that courage is contagious to them. And it is, it is truly a privilege for me to watch them grow in just a few weeks and months, what it took me years and years to find. So it, it's just truly a privilege to walk with women on this journey. Well, I get that, and you are such a positive person. I was thinking, I do believe, Jean, you actually contacted me maybe three and a half years ago. Do you remember? Oh, that probably sounds about right, yeah. And in I three sure and a half yeah, and years, you sent me to Donna. I sent you to Donna. You did that program. You learned that model, which was amazing, Help uh, partners helping partners. And then you... Um, went back and got your coaching certification. You're actually a candidate for that coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Aren't you uh-huh, wrapping yes. that up? Yeah, this, has to this be, month actually. Yeah, that has to be from an accredited school, and then you go to APSATS, and then you get your, uh, your consultation with APSATS. And so when will you be a certified coach with APSATS? I have um, one session left there, and so by the end of June, I should be certified in all all of these areas. So, wow! And yeah, that is amazing that in three and a half years you have gotten all that and more. I mean, you have just really been been around the world when it comes to partner training and. <laughs> You really, you really made that happen, and I, I really appreciate the fact that BTR is a wonderful opportunity for partners, and it's yeah. a wonderful opportunity for coaches. And you know, we, for anybody who's listening to become a coach, you have to be um, accredited by two different organizations: either the International Coaching Federation, or I think it's BBC, is it not? I, I, mean, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, I believe it is and so, Because they have wonderful ethics that they ask you to follow, and you have to see so many clients. They have to make sure that you are doing what you need to do. Now, is there any anywhere else you want to go, anything else that you want to do professionally, and you want to name it and claim it on this show? <laughs> Well, actually, um, Carol, I was in consultation with you just a couple weeks ago, and if you remember, I said I wanted to get certified in the Enneagram. And so um, in June, I am actually traveling to Michigan to do a certification program for that, and I'm very excited about that. The Enneagram is a personality assessment, and that's just another step for me. And when I learned my personality, it was really helpful, not even just understanding myself, but also understanding my betrayal journey. I was like, wow, so this makes so much sense of the different ways I responded. So to me, that's just another tool that I could use with women, not in stage one at all, because you're way too traumatized, but late stage two, stage three, where you're getting through um, some of the grieving and mourning. And a lot of times women will say, I just don't know who I am anymore. And so helping them um, with an assessment and to that third stage of growth and moving forward, 
um, that's just a, another another avenue that I'm interested in. Well, that is amazing. And I, I have to ask you, you know, I just talked with a woman today. She's a partner. And she said, I'm either a one or a five. She said, read these because this book delineated a healthy one or a five, a moderate healthy one or a five, and then an yes. unhealthy. And she yes. she was perfectionistic, which she says she really is. And then five was she takes care of other people, and she knows she really does. So she's going with the perfectionistic mm-hmm. one. It has really helped to shape her life and change the way she looks at her own interactions. And you and I both know that if that is the one thing that a partner can control is how they um, take care of themselves and, and how they hold themselves accountable. And in no way right. am I saying how they hold themselves accountable to an addict's uh, addiction. Right. But, you know, my number one coaching principle, Jean, is that here we go. I am 100% accountable for my behavior. So if somebody rear-ends me, you know, and my vehicle, I get to decide how I handle it, what I think, yes. how I relate to that person, how I get myself to the insurance company. I have to decide how I allow something to affect me. And really, you are the epitome of post-traumatic growth, getting stronger from something that really could have kept you in the fetal position. Well, thank you so much, Carol. It, you know, I just feel like the right people were put in my path at the right time. And I can just give so much credit to Donna from Adore of Hope and AppSats. And, and you and Barb were the ones who trained me in the AppSats training. So all I do is give it right back to you guys because you provided the education that helped me um, take these steps and move forward. And I love what you said about responsibility. I, I love this quote that says, my response is my responsibility. Mm, I like that too. Well, I have one more question because BTR has been so valuable to, oh, partners all over the world because they provide these groups morning, afternoon, evening, and even middle of the night. So let me ask you, what is the benefit of doing an individual session compared to doing the group sessions? Yeah, so um, a lot of times women will do both. They'll join BTRG, um, and then sometimes they want to really hone in on something very specific, and they need, you know, that 15-minute session on the one-on-one. Also, some women are still so early in their story, the thought of getting in a group and sharing is, is terrifying for them. And so they might start with just a coach. And I've had women that uh, uh, coach through BTR, and I've been like the first person they told. Um, and so sometimes they start there, and then they'll branch out to the groups or vice versa or do both. But just that one-on-one, someone hears your story, validates that, and then helps you with a couple of action steps of how you can move forward, which is really what coaching is all about, is how can we move forward and take that step toward healing. I love that. Absolutely. And that makes a lot of sense. Of course, I'm a big believer in the more you put into your life, the the healthier you become. So to get to do both of those is probably the smartest choice. And 
I heard you say earlier um, that you can go, if you get the group rate, you can go for the week. So is the charge for a week, for a day, or a month? It's a month. It's a month charge. Okay, thanks. Um, and I know we can't talk about charges, but I know there's a setup fee and then a monthly charge. And then you can go to six You can go to every single group. And a few weeks ago, um, I did three groups in one day. I had the same woman come to all three groups because she was so traumatized. Um, and right, she was she being really triggered and some, yeah, she, she was in every group that day. Um, so sometimes that, that happens. And, you know, another thing that is really vital here is, is that BTR is, is not the only thing that women need. They, you know, the ideal situation is that they have therapy as well. Maybe they get EMDR, um, you know, they go to the intensives, they work with somebody to get the disclosures. So we're a part and a piece of this puzzle, but I think it's a really vital piece because this is where women get understood by other women who are sharing their story. Yeah, thank you so much, Jean. This has been so helpful. And I wish you the best. And that website for uh, BTR is simple. It's www.btr.org. And how can people get a hold of you if they'd like to to work with you? Yes. Yeah, so if they want to contact me directly, it's Jean, J-E-A-N, at btr.org. Beautiful. Well, thanks again, and we'll see you soon, and keep doing what you're doing because it's really making a difference in the world. Thanks, Jean. Carol, thank you, and thank you for the part you've played in my journey because it's been huge as well. So, I know. Three and a half years later, here we are on the podcast <laughs> together. I'm, I'm getting cold chills as we speak. You take her easy, <laughs> and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you, Carol. Um, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And as you can see, listening audience, Jean is one healthy woman. And, you know, like she said, her marriage isn't perfect yet. But she is working diligently on herself and on helping others. And the marriage is moving forward. And it's a work in progress. All right. That's me telling you to have hope. And for those of you that intuitively know, your marriage is not going to work out. You can always use a coach or a therapist who's been trained in this field to help you decide what the exit plan is. We do that too because, again, we want you to be safe. Hey, I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach. Have a good Memorial Day. We will see you next week. And I want you to remember that there's only one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make it a good one, and um, we'll see you next week. For more information, go to APSATS.org, the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, to find a professional in your area who is trained to help you after sexual betrayal.